Hello, and welcome to One Real Good Thing, where we dive into one thing you can do today to propel your life in a healthy direction. I'm Ellie Krieger, and in this episode, I'm talking with Eric Kim, New York Times staff writer and columnist for the New York Times Magazine. He spent a year cooking with his mother, Jean, for his new incredible book, Korean American, Food That Tastes Like Home. And the experience of cooking with her enriched his life in countless ways. That's why his one real good thing is to write down family recipes. He shares why that's such a meaningful thing to do and some of the often funny challenges that can arise in the process. Eric Kim, it is so good to have you here. Thank you for joining us. I'm smiling from ear to ear. Smiling from ear to ear. I can see you. (laughs) And your book, Korean American, Food That Tastes Like Home. I just have to take a moment to gush because I love the recipes in this book. I want to make every single thing. And just the way you even lay it out with what you call TV dinners, which is fast foods to eat on the couch. S is for stew. Kimchi is a verb. These are the chapters and they're just like so compelling, just the names of them. And then digging into the recipes, guys who are listening, I have to tell you, guys and gals kind of guys. I'm a New Yorker, so I say guys for everyone, right? (laughs) Yeah. I guess I could say y'all maybe. I've been trying to say y'all lately, but it doesn't really roll off the tongue for me that easily. (laughs) Even though you're from Atlanta, I I would think it would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I recognize how off it is up here. (laughs) Yeah. In New York, we're both in New York now. Actually we're neighbors, but anyways, some of the recipes that just like jump out at me, which I have to make this week, charred cauliflower with magic gochugaru dust. That is just magnificent. And what I love about the recipes is they're simple, straightforward, and have an element of fun to them. And it feels like something that might be different for me that I might be trying something new, but it doesn't feel like it's a big stretch. So I kind of like that. Sometimes I like to stretch and sometimes you just want something that feels like, oh, just something that's going to add that extra spark. Yeah. I don't know when it happened, but there was a point in my recipe development where I really leaned into the minimalism and a lot of people do minimalism well, especially like my colleague, Ali Slagle. She's very good at that, but I love her work. Yeah. She's great. But it is satisfying, isn't it? When you get to show someone that you only need like five ingredients to create a really smart thing. And that's the thing about the recipes that I really enjoy. It was a really playful time for me to explore my mother's pantry, but also dishes that I loved growing up and but also how to just develop good recipes that had the fun factor. And that was definitely part of my the joy of writing this for sure. Thank well, you for saying that, saying that. That kind of joy really comes through. And I just want to shout out one other recipe that I have to make like this week, which is the sheet pan bibimbap with roasted vegetables, because yeah. that looks incredible. That really looks <laughs> great. And I think I have some leftover rice right now calling my name in the refrigerator. Yeah, it's perfect. It's perfect. One thing you can do actually is this is something I learned later from my boss, Genevieve Co. is you can fry like in quotes eggs on a sheet pan well so what i like to do is i put rice on one side of the sheet pan and then the other side i oil it and i crack four eggs into the other side and you put that in the oven and the eggs will sort of like cook very evenly and they they're so tender like people are like why would i do that i would just i should just fry an egg but it's not just because it's easy it's because the eggs are better like when you pull them out at just the right time and the rice like heats through perfectly, you know, it's great. 
Oh, I can't wait to try it. Well, how many recipes are in the book? Cause it looks like there's a hundred and more than a hundred, right? You know, it started with a hundred and we had to like edit out some other stuff. I think they're going to be like pre-order incentives, but I think it's around like 96 or something like that. Wow. Like, yeah. Well, I think I'm going to make all 96, but, <laughs> but the important thing and what really gets to the one real good thing that we're talking about today is yeah. that this is so much more than a collection of recipes. And what I adore about this book and what makes me want to dive into it really is how deeply personal it is. And there are moving essays throughout the book and moving and also fun and lighthearted and insightful. I love the pictures, by the way, too, like the cutest pictures of you as a boy. Like, I just love that. So it's super personal. And what I love about it is this personalness. And it shows how food is so linked with our identities and who we are. And you in particular, as a Korean American, that's the name of the book. And to create this, and I know this was one of the goals that you're trying to achieve and you do it so well. And to do this, you spent a year cooking with your mom. And in the intro, you say that writing down family recipes is something that you think everyone should do, which is why the one real good thing that we're talking about today is to write down family recipes. So in your book, I'm going to quote your own words here. You really say, talk to your parents, your grandparents, your loved ones, write down their recipes. Don't wait until it's too late. And I guess you had said in the book that you wish you could have tapped that information from your grandma too, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I would love to ask her so many things. There are things that my grandmother would do when she was alive. She lived with us in Atlanta. She would make her own tenjang and her own kochujang. And I totally took that for granted. And it wasn't until later in life when I started writing about food, I realized, man, that information is lost now. And one way to tap into it, of course, is to, you know, do some research and like, you know, ask around. But I think the thing about Korean food and also just family food in general is it's food from your loved one's hands themselves. And that's something that it's hard to replicate that. But I think the point of the cookbook is to, to at least try. And what's really beautiful too, is even though you, maybe you can't replicate it exactly, Maybe you can't replicate your mother's chicken soup, but you can come at an approximation and then start innovating on your own and come up with your own that you will pass down to your children. And I just think it's a, it's a beautiful cycle that it's not about passing down an old thing, just like each generation. It's about seeing the growth of that recipe and its life, its many lives across time. That's really important to me to get across. Yeah. I think that notion of, and you really say that in the introduction as well, how you don't see a recipe as this like static thing. It's so interesting to me because when I've cooked my family recipes, I actually, I wrote about this in a column, which I'll link to my the website, but it's about how I was making brisket, which is like my family's brisket, but I made it differently. And my mother and my mother, who is, I'm sure listening now because she listens to every podcast because that's what good that. moms do. And, <laughs> but she got really upset because I made it differently. And we wound up really having a big, at first it was a fight. And then it was like a revelation between us and what the food and the recipe meant to her as oh. in terms of her loss of her parents and, mm. and what it mm. meant. And then I see it as also, I don't want to be bound by tradition. I want to respect tradition, but I don't want to be like shackled by it. And so I'm always changing things and she gets frustrated. Like I'm thumbing my nose at tradition. But I think this notion that it is a fluid language that we can put in our own experiences and pass that on. And you're still having some of that tradition and you're having those roots 
holds it up. Yeah, man, that's so well said because it is people think they have to have one or the other. It's like tradition or innovation. But when I talk about this book, I talk about it as a fusion of past and present. And I think that is something we can talk about that more. But I think that's really the goal of writing down your family recipes because it's not to preserve like an old thing and have it stuck in time. It's to bring it into the present so that you can understand your family better and yourself. And it illuminates so many things when you fuse the past and present. So it's not just stuck in time. And it's funny though, because when I was developing this book, my mom, (laughs) I would always come up with an idea like, Hey, what if we glaze the piece of fish with tenjang? Or what if I did like a gochugada shrimp or something? And she'd be like, that won't work. Or she'll be like, we don't do that. And she means that we add some like, maybe like Korean cooks or something. And I'd be like, well, mom, we're not writing every point. I would go into like (laughs) 17 year old Eric again and be like, well, mom, we're not doing a Korean cookbook. It's a Korean American cookbook. And she'd be like, yeah, okay, okay, fine, fine, fine. And, um, so I think what's really beautiful too, though, is if you are lucky enough for your parents to still be alive. And if you are cooking with them side by side and writing down their family recipes. If you're doing that, what's really beautiful is when you maybe add a thing or two or you change it like you did with the the brisket and have your parents taste it and they like it, then they kind of change their mind about what that dish should be. And then like, for instance, the sheep pan bibimbap actually is something that my mom really likes. And she told me that she would never make it the old way again. Cause she was like, this makes more sense to me and it tastes better to me. I'm not saying it's better than regular bibimbap, but it's like this difference between <laughs> there's a joke that Koreans don't use their ovens and they use it as storage. Same with like the dishwasher. But so I use the oven a lot because I grew up watching the Food Network. I grew up watching you, Ellie. Ah! Oh <laughs> no. Sorry, sorry. I'm going to embarrass you right now. I love your carrot cupcakes. Wow, those are so good and smart. It was like the first time I added applesauce to a cake mix and I just loved it. So tender and delicious. Those are oh, great. Thank you. I love that recipe <laughs> to this day myself. It's an oldie and a goodie. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> Sorry, I like totally forgot. Um, I, I like I already knew you. But I think my mother was sort of started to open up more and she was like, Oh, this is like Eric, who happens to be like a professional cook, like he can teach me things. And it's not just unilateral, it's if you're lucky, you can swap secrets. And it's like this intergenerational recipe swap. And I think that's the real joy. And I think that's one of the most beautiful, healthy things about this. So when we're talking about enhancing your life with this, so you might think Mm. it just on the surface, oh, you're writing down some recipes and oh, that's a nice thing to do. Fine. But I do think there's a deeper sort of wellness aspect to that in that it's deepening the connection between you and your mom. It's deepening your understanding of each other in that process of even like just talking about the recipe and where it came from. You're opening up a conversation and discovering and she's discovering about you. And so you're enriching your dialogue. You're creating a deeper connection. I know that was the truth with me and my mom with the over the brisket fight. And even (laughs) though we had a fight at first, we came to this deeper understanding of each other. And I think that could our love be deeper? No, to start, but it enriched something and made something more layered between us in a really great way. Yes. That's the biggest part. It's not just like spending time with your parents in this way. It's like, for me, I kind of approached the book as a reporter, right? I was like interviewing my mom, my dad, my brother, and trying to tap into their memories because the truth is my memories only go back 
30 years and barely like, you know, whereas theirs go back many more decades. So their memories are really valuable and I need to write them down again, like before it's too late. I don't want to like de-emphasize before it's too late because for me and my family, we experienced a lot of deaths in the last like three or four years in our family. And I have cousins who don't have their fathers anymore and their other mothers and the cooks of the family. And those recipes are gone now. They're not gone forever though. I don't want to be as so grim as to say that you can always access your taste memories. I think that's something that's important to say, but it was just such a great time to get to know my mother, not just as a mother, but as a person. And I don't know, maybe sometimes it's like disarming. Like she'll tell me about how she would go to Tongyang Shape, which are like Western style Korean res- like restaurants in Korea. It's where they sell like omurice and hanbak steak, which is kind of like a Salisbury steaky thing. Anyway, the hearing that story and also watching her face light up as she tapped into those memories for the first time in like 40 years, it's just pretty cool. And it's a gift, not just for yourself, but it's for them as well. Yes, totally. And I'm so sorry about your family's struggles and loss this year. And so we definitely agree on how valuable this all can be. Um, (laughs) And it doesn't have to be necessarily with parents. So it could be any loved one. My aunt was one of my biggest influencers in my cooking. And I have this, one of the things that she passed down to me was one of her old cookbooks, which is like a treasure to me. So it can be anyone in your life that's meaningful to you. So that, but also I love this. So then let's like get into a little bit of the nitty gritty of it, because I think (laughs) I love how you say that getting a recipe out of my mother is like pulling teeth out of a tiger's mouth. So it's so true. You like try to capture these details and it's like so difficult and I love how you've overcome some of those things. So if someone's going out and trying to literally write down some of these recipes of their family, what would you suggest or what kinds of things might they encounter? (laughs) It's not a metaphor when I say become a reporter, like become a reporter for that moment. Think of yourself as an unbiased, like interviewer who's like writing down details for a story. You're not like their child in that moment. And I think that was hard at first for my mom to get past. She was like, whenever I come home, especially, especially this pandemic, when I came home to live with her again, I think in her eyes, I reverted to that 17 year old again when I I left home. And so what that meant was I had to keep reminding her. I was like, mom, this is like, this is my job. Like, can you (laughs) just tell me the truth? And so I would see her like sort of editing herself and be like, oh, I don't want people to know that. I'd be like, we can talk about that later. But right now, just just tell me what you just put in there. Stop lying to me. Like, why don't you want people to know that you use that ingredient? Like, it's a really special, it's like really interesting. I, I would ask her, like, why did you do that? And I think that disarmed her too. She was like, I don't know why I do it. Or she would be like, here's the reason. And then she'll, there'll be some incredible insight into like Korean cuisine and, <laughs> and these details that you can't get from a restaurant chef because Jane came up with it on her own. She's just cooking. I want to tell like one little thing I learned. I was watching her mince garlic one day and she took the back of the knife first and kind of smacked it, the garlic clove across. And what that did was it sort of like chopped it a little bit, like smashed it with like a blunt knife basically. And then she turned it over to do a real mince with the sharp edge. And I love that because what you end up with is a mince that's a little fuzzier at the edge. It's not quite a grate, but it's like in between a grate and a mince. And it's better than a mince to me because like a mince can sometimes, as soon as you hit, add it to the hot pan, it can like burn because the surface area is so however. And so those little details that she just came up with on her own. And it'd be really fun though, to ask her like, where did you learn that? And 
usually she could tell me, but often she didn't remember. And so I would try to dig deeper because I didn't want to credit her for something that she doesn't own. I'd be like, did you see this on TV? Like, (laughs) I can't get in trouble for like your lies. Like we have to be, we have to get to the truth. And that's really hard to do with parents because they lie a lot. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. Well, so I actually did an interesting thing. It doesn't even have to be in writing. My husband and I, Oh gosh, like decades ago, really before camera phones. So I remember we did this on like a high eight camera. We video recorded our parents making each of them their specialty recipe. And that, that was really helpful. And now you can easily do it on a phone and having it recorded that way on a video really helps you see texture and really captures their their voice, their, their voice, their passion and so on. Yeah. And so, and one of the things I remember with my mother-in-law is that she makes the most wonderful Midwestern, they're from Michigan, Midwestern gravy, chicken and gravy yeah. and with mashed potatoes. And it's just amazing. It's just like perfect in every way. And she makes like a flour thickened gravy. And she says, and this is the bowl. And she shows me, this is the bowl I used to measure the flour. And I just put it up, fill this bowl, this exact bowl, always the same bowl, <laughs> with flour up to here. So basically I said, well, what happens if that bowl breaks? Like if we don't have that bowl, you cannot make her food. <laughs> so, so I actually went and measured like, okay, fill it up to where you fill it. And then I went and took a measuring cup and measured. It was like a third of a cup or something. But it was just so funny because you have to think like a reporter or a recipe developer in some way in order to get those details. Like, okay, obviously I'm not going to have that bowl for the rest of my life. Or maybe yeah. I actually want that bowl passed down. To me. <laughs> the bowl has flavor from the chicken and <laughs> chicken past. And yeah, yeah, it's so funny. Yeah. My mom is definitely like that. She'll be like this much. And I'll be like, oh, that's not like a real tablespoon measure mom. But like there was a lot. What was really cute actually though, was she eventually became a recipe developer. Like she learned how to do it like I do. And what would happen sometimes with the kimchi recipes I'd be so busy working on other things or like starting my job. And she would be or like measuring her, her go-to, like say there's an oi nankuk in there, which means cucumber cold soup. It's delicious. You should make that. It's really okay. good. It's the first recipe in the vegetable chapter. And she measured it herself. And she has kind of like a basic recipe with like teaspoons and tablespoons and everything. And she learned how to do it. And then I would make it next and taste it and be like, well, it doesn't taste like yours. Like, what am I doing differently? And trying to decrease that margin of error was part of the job of like measuring her genius. And also it's really hard because I don't know if you feel this way, but when you already have a recipe that you make from your hands, like for me, I make a really, really good guacamole. It's super chunky and has so many herbs in it. Like it's really, really delicious and very particular. When I tried to write it down, I had, you know, my tablespoon with me and I was like trying to like measure what I already do. It's hard. It's hard to measure what you already do. The one thing you do is immeasurable. So it's like I had to loosen the recipe a little. And so instead of half a teaspoon of salt, I was like, I said a pinch of salt and like season to taste. And like, there are like little things like that, that you can do to leave room for that more intuitive kind of cooking. So instead of like one tablespoon of diced jalapenos, I said one large jalapeno dice or, you know, whatever. So it's really interesting that way. Recipes are so weird and the way food tastes, it's just, it's so dependent on how you cook. On the other hand, I also really believe in the written recipe. Like, I mean, as a recipe developer, it's like my main job at the times. 
I really believe in the power of that because it's not that you are like getting the exact thing that the original cook made. We would need like 3D printers for that. I think it's about like getting as close as possible. And that's the point of me writing down my mom's recipes to just get them as close as possible. Well, you really captured that beautifully. I'm sure she's just gushing with pride. And I love how you say also, and I think this kind of like maybe sums it up in a way of the next step of it is that my recipes are an evolution of her recipes. And so I think that's just a beautiful trajectory. And I just thank you so much for this beautiful work, because I think it's going to affect a lot of people, including me. (laughs) And I also thank you for this inspiration for all of us. I hope everyone is feeling inspired now to write down family recipes and maybe just start with one. Start with one of your favorite things that make you feel like home, that make you feel like you're at home in that almost in a proverbial way and start there. And then you're going to be amazed, I think, at how it enriches your life to do that. And then you can pass that down. One thing I want to add is just, and as you, when you take that recipe that you've written down carefully with your, whoever, your loved one, you go into your own kitchen alone and make it yourself. And what's really beautiful is, and this is right. You know, I get emotional. It's like that person will be with you as you're cooking it, because you're going to be thinking about all those times you tasted that. And you're going to put yourself in their shoes. You'll be like, oh, wow. So mom did this every time she made this for us. Like, I, I didn't realize that. And I didn't realize she scored this beef before she seared it and before the stew. Like, you know, it's those details are really lovely. That that kind of connection, it is, I'm not a religious person, but it's pretty freaking spiritual. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's really getting to the essence of them. So yeah, that's yeah. a beautiful thing. Well, I love that sentiment. Thank you so much for this inspiration, Eric. And everyone should go check out Korean American. It's an amazing book. So. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So fun. Thanks for listening. I hope you are inspired to connect with loved ones and get those family recipes written down. Join me next time for another One Real Good Thing.